Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. If you missed the Open Championship this weekend, I think you missed something pretty amazing. And yeah, I know it didn't look so incredible if you only were following on the leaderboard. If you were only watching the leaderboard, it looked like one of the more boring tournament weekends ever. But if you actually took the time to watch Brian Harmon conquer the field and the elements and the hecklers, then that was a pretty damn good time. I mean, of all the ways to snag your first major championship, absolutely dominating in front of a miserable, hostile crowd rooting against you who would have been happy having anybody in the world not name you win. That's got to be a badass way to get it done. That had to feel so good, which is why I'm not going to complain about the Open this morning. The world's got enough complainers, enough whiners. If you want to pout that that was not competitive enough or that it was too slow or too boring or there were too many commercials or that Rory never had a chance or that the time difference was a big pain in the ass or the waggles, of course, the waggles. Whatever it is you want to complain about, you just go right ahead, but I'm not going to. You do you, I'll do me, I'm going to stay upbeat, I'm going to stay positive, and I'm not going to complain about it. I liked it. I'm not here to complain. I'm here to hype. I'm here to hype Brian Harmon because this dude went full legend on the Brits over the weekend. And to me, it was entertaining as hell because they wanted this guy to lose so badly. Waggles and all. And yes, I will get back to the waggles. But there really is something special about those rare situations when absolutely nobody in the gallery wants to see a dude win. In fact, everybody in that gallery wants to see that guy lose. And then not only does he win, he essentially laps the field. It was never in doubt for Brian Harmon, which meant that the entire day was torture for a lot of the fans in attendance. I don't know why these people hate Brian Harmon so much. I don't know when it became a thing for fans at the Open to openly root against a dude, at least to that extent, especially a dude playing the best golf of his life, putting on an absolute clinic, not disrespecting anybody at all, and trying to chase down his first major at age 36. It's a good story. But apparently, they didn't want that good story. Apparently, they don't like underdogs as much as we do. I I don't know. Maybe it's got something to do with those plucky colonies and their stunning upset. Or maybe they really wanted their guy, Tommy Fleetwood, to win. I know Big Head did. He hit that guy. Or maybe they wanted Rory to finally break through, beat back all the demons, finally get his. Essentially, I would say they wanted anybody except Harmon. Look, I know that Harmon is not really anybody's favorite golfer. Although this dude is flying up my list right about now. I mean, seriously, you booed this dude on the first tee. They booed this guy on the first tee. When have you ever seen that? Who does that? On the tee from the USA, Brian Harmon. Stay classy. Very classy. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. Apparently, my dude was getting heckled the entire weekend. Saturday, 
He heard things that he later said were, quote, unrepeatable. Then yesterday, he shows up and he gets booed on the first tee box and razzed throughout the round. But in terms of trying to break this dude, all they actually did was fuel the dude. The ultimate boomerang. It backfired. They fueled this guy with premium rocket fuel because if you know anything about Harmon, and they obviously didn't, even though he said, you know what, the fans are great here, they really know golf. Well, they didn't know this about this guy. This dude goes like 5'7", buck fifty, and has a boulder on his shoulder that probably weighs twice that amount. So my guy didn't just deal with that smack. He loved it. He fed off it. Listen to what he had to say after he finished off his weekend masterpiece about all that smack. After I made the second bogey yesterday, a guy, when I was passing him, he said, Harmon, you don't have the stones for this. That helped. That was the, that was the motivation? Yeah, that helped a lot. I think he was a... Uh, anyway, that, that helped. I mean, it just helped snap me back in, like, you know, that I, I'm good enough to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through my process, and the next shot's going to be good. Attitude. Respect. Respect. I want to say that it takes stones to get up in a guy's grill and say, you don't got the stones to do this. But you know what that takes? That doesn't take stones. That takes stupidity. It's obnoxious. I mean, thank you to the obnoxious loser, the jerk, who reminded Brian Harmon that, quote, you don't have the stones for this, when in fact, he did. I mean, the dude even got trolled on the NBC broadcast for all the waggles. And look, I'll admit it, there were a ton of waggles. When you're averaging double-digit waggles per swing, then that is a lot of waggles. Maybe even too many waggles. At least the broadcast thought so, because they actually stuck a counter. A waggle counter on this dude. One there. There it is. Two. Each waggle, he's moving his feet, looking up at the target. We've all taught to waggle when we were young to keep your arms relaxed, you know, and he's maybe waggling a few more than most, but he's not going to hit until he's set and ready to rock. He's not counting his waggles. He's just trying to zone in on where he wants this ball to go. Well, just, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes on before you draw it back. You just want that second and a half of motion with no words. I mean, granted, that is a lot. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, that is a lot. But why does the world hate this guy? I mean, you can't hate a guy that much because of one or eight waggles, right? They're sitting there counting him out like LeBron. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six waggles, not seven. Look, that part of it I get, sort of. Nobody wants to watch a dude wiggle and waggle his club all day long. But when you show up to a major and you dominate the field, you get to waggle your bat like it was clearly working for the dude. It's not like he was just wasting everybody's time. The dude was waggling his way to his first major, so I'm not going to sit here and complain and whine about the waggles. Maybe instead of complaining about everything, right? 
Instead of complaining and hating everything, people should try to appreciate this dude for how different he is. And I don't just mean the waggles. I mean his entire vibe. I mean, just listen to how he said he's going to get down and celebrate the biggest professional achievement of his career, one that everybody had been waiting on, and that one he himself said, you know, there were times where maybe I thought maybe this wouldn't happen. Well, here it is. I'm 36, and I've got plans. I did. Uh, I had a nice week a couple weeks ago, and I bought a new tractor for my hunting place. So I'll get home, and I'll be on the tractor uh, mowing grass uh, in the next week. I'll be very excited about that. So that's going to be your reward. You're going to ride your tractor. Yeah, I might take a whole day and just, just put my phone away and go get on the tractor. I'm a little bit lost because I've never known an open champion celebrate by mowing grass on a tractor. That's I got funny. a lot of layers, man. I'm like an onion. <laughs> it's a 105-horse Kubota tractor, and it's, it's going to be a pretty one. I, I haven't told my wife how much I spent on it. So. <laughs> Thanks for finally humoring the dude and laughing at his stuff. Listen to that smart alk journo, that smart-ass journo, just razzing my dude, even after he was done dominating the field. If the guy wants to ride his tractor, let him ride his tractor. You don't have to talk down to the guy about it, give him hell about it, talk junk about it. He's like an onion, all right? My man's got layers, lots of layers. He's a different sort of cat. He's going back to his, quote, hunting grounds. He's getting on his new tractor, and he's going to ride around. He just made three mil. He just won the Open Championship. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Sorry. Sorry that our dude didn't say that he was going to celebrate with some strawberries and cream. U.S. Cellular is introducing us mode. You know, it's kind of like airplane mode, but for people. It's a way to set up your phone so it does not get in the way of people really being with each other. Block distractions. Make way for real connections. Give it a try. Visit U.S. Cellular in-store or online, and they'll help set up your phone to us mode. Free. Even if you're not a customer, built for superior 5G connection and real human connection, U.S. Cellular, built for us. Find out more at uscellular.com slash find us. Or tea and crumpets and bangers and mash or whatever the hell you want him to eat or do. Bad enough you did everything you possibly could to get this guy to lose and now you're telling him how he can and can't celebrate. He ripped your jug. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Man, get off this dude. He just put in a ridiculously dominant performance for his first major at age 36. He's a five foot seven lefty who hadn't won on tour since 2017. You've got to be the biggest Delta Bravo ever to go out of your way and complain and actively root against this guy. And it apparently the biggest Delta Bravos ever all got together and met up at the Open this week to try to bring this guy down. I guess what I'm really trying to say to all you Delta Bravos is you're lucky he even performed for you bastards. You're lucky he even performed for you bastards. Leave Leave Brian Harmon alone. And honestly, one more thing. 
Nothing says, quote, gentleman sport more than booing a guy on the first tee. A guy who really didn't do anything to anybody. Stay classy. All the guy did was show up, play really well, put his ass off, right? And not bother anybody in pursuit of his first major. If I'm that guy, I bring my seven to the presser, and I just go waggles during every single answer. Like, yeah, so what are you going to do now? Yeah, waggle, waggle. waggle. I think I'm going to ride my new tractor. Waggle, waggle. 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 What's wrong with that? Waggle. You ever been on a Kubota? Waggle, waggle. Waggle. Then I'm going to take that there jug of yours. Waggle, waggle. 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 And I'm going to fill it with man-made natural fertilizer. If you see me working, waggle, waggle, waggle. Waggle, waggle. Then I'm going to spread my lawn with it afterwards. Waggle, waggle, waggle. Then maybe mix in a little snack. I don't know. What would y'all like to see me eat? Oh, fish and chips. Yeah, they suck. Waggle, waggle. And I'm not about your Sunday roast either. Waggle, waggle, waggle. All this hate for the waggles. I think he was a member of the Wiggles. And when I think about the Wiggles, I think about my kids. The younger of our kids headed to Columbia tonight. Logan Rome. Logan Rome going to Medellin. What could go wrong? This kid. Should have seen Dodger Janner and I trying to give this guy the lecture last night about his Columbia road trip. And again, not Columbia U like Tommy. Columbia, Columbia. Columbia, South America. Columbia, Bogota. Columbia, Medellin. Logan's like, you know, when I go into the clubs, oh, great. Yeah, when you go into the clubs, Logs, how are you going to handle yourself? What are you going to do? What is your strategy? Easiest mark ever. Waggle, waggle. You know, Pop, I'm just going to hold on to my drink the whole time and never let it go. Good strategy, son. Good start. Waggle, waggle. Waggle. 1-800-636-8686. I love a guy, again, 5'7", buck 50, like everybody in the world rooting against him, didn't give a damn. And the thing that spurred him on was somebody getting up in his grill saying, Harmon, man, you do not have the stones. I'm a little bit lost because I've never known an open champion celebrate by mowing grass on a good, tractor. Good, good. He's different. He's different. Different is good. Different is good. Now you do. Now you do know. I mean, could you disrespect the guy anymore? I've never known an English champion to celebrate by mowing his lawn. That's going to be your reward. You're going to ride your tractor. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. How the hell should he celebrate? Dude, could you sound any more arrogant? Or condescending or I'm judgmental. Because I've never known an open champion celebrate so, by mowing grass on a track. Oh, okay. Why, why don't you tell me how I should celebrate? Let me know. You, you're just a little lost. You sound like more than a little bit of a jerk. I'm a That's little bit your lost. You're going to ride your tractor. Wow, bro. Big Ben. What if I were to tell you Big Ben is just another clock? 
I mean, what if I were to come up in here and go, you know, those double decker red buses? Obnoxious, man. Why do you need two levels? What, one bus wasn't enough? You had to glue another bus on top of the first bus? Leave the guy alone, man. I got one for you. Super arrogant, over the top journal. I got one for you. You know, the Beatles? Totally overrated. Waggle. Waggle. Totally overrated. Nobody here even gave a damn when they showed up. It's for crocodile tears, fake tears. Nobody was screaming. Man, respect this guy. The jug is his. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. He is Jim Trotter. My man, Jim, it's great to have you back. How are things? Good, Romy. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. How about you, Jim? I got no complaints, man. None. Listen, bring me up to date really quickly. So you moved on from NFL media to the athletic. You and I have not talked about that. What was that transition like, and how do you like it there? Um, you know, it was, a, it was a little surprising at first because, um, you know, the NFL media VP of or senior VP of talent had told me, told my agent that the expectation was that I was going to be brought back. And, and then after the Super Bowl, uh, where I questioned Goodell, all of a sudden it was they weren't sure. And then after that, it was, no, we're not going to bring you back. So so there was an adjustment period there. The, the beauty of it was that I ended up landing at a place where I couldn't be more happy from the standpoint of um, I've got some freedom back, I've got my voice back, and, and um, I'm working with some tremendous people. So for me, I'm excited about what's to come. Good to hear it. Jim Trotter joining us. I'm happy for you, Jim. Good to hear it. So NFL Network reports that running back Naeem Hines suffered a significant knee injury in a jet ski accident. He's expected, Jim, to miss the entire season. How big of a blow is that to Buffalo? No, it's definitely a big blow. I mean, one of the things with that offense you want is to get more balance out of it. And he was a guy that they were counting on. So from that standpoint, when I look at Buffalo, you know, Romy, truthfully, there's a lot of, of, of internal things that have to take place um, that have to show improvement. Starting number one, the relationship between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, which we know at the end of the year was not great from the standpoint of all of a sudden it appeared that, that Josh Allen had forgotten that he had an all-pro wide receiver over there that, that he could get the ball to. So, you know, we've seen some of what went on this offseason. I think they have to mend that relationship, um, including, you know, with the offensive coordinator as well with the play calling. Uh, that's first and foremost for me if they're going to do anything. But for Buffalo, um, defensively, you know, what are they going to get out of Von Miller? He was supposed to be the missing piece last year. He gets hurt. We see that, that they're not the team or the defense that we thought they were. Now Leslie Frazier is gone. Um, so there are all these internal issues. And then beyond that, the division has gotten much better. So, you know, whereas a year ago I was one of those people predicting that the Bills would be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl, 
Um, I'm not even so sure they're the favorite in their division this year. Mm, Jim Trotter joining us. Speaking of the division, social media, Jim, is eating up Aaron Rodgers and the plays <laughs> he's making at Jets camp right now. Hard Knocks even got themselves video of a practice fight. There's all this buzz. Personally, I think they're the most intriguing, interesting team in the NFL, but entertainment is one thing. Being a legitimate Super Bowl contender is another. Do you think they're that? Yeah, I do. Um, here's the thing first about Aaron Rodgers. Set aside for a minute anything that we have seen that we will see on the field or have seen in, in training camp to this point, and whatnot. When I saw him um, out at the golf tournament out in Lake Tahoe, physically he just looked different. And and by that, what I mean is he looked leaner, he looked in shape. Um, and to me, what it says is that he's taking this really seriously. I thought at the end there at Green Bay, you was, you you had started to see. Um, he didn't participate in off-season workouts and whatnot. He was not as lean. You know, there was a reason to question whether or not he was completely in shape and invested in what was going on. When I see him now, just physically, right, and if you know Aaron Rodgers, you know he's a competitor, and he knows what everyone is saying, and he is going to want to show that he is still that guy, particularly to Green Bay management. Um, from that standpoint alone, I think that they are going to be much, much better, and I think he is going to be much, much better than he was a year ago. Look, their defense was was standout last year, and they're all, offensively, if Hall comes back healthy, they're going to be extremely talented on the offensive side of the ball. So I think the hype is, is warranted with the Jets. Now they just got to go out and play. I think you're right. I think the guy looks amazing. I think he looks amazing physically, and I like everything I'm hearing from, from him as well. Jim Trotter joins us. So, Jim, regarding the commanders, like Dan Snyder is out, Josh Harris is in. Does this end the nightmare for commander fans and the NFL, or frankly, is the league still a long way from closure as it relates to his horrific tenure as an owner? I think they've separated themselves from Snyder at this point. You know, there is work to be done there. But, Romy, you know, the real um, story that's not being talked about enough, in my opinion, is that do the women who initially brought the complaints that led to Dan Snyder being forced out, do they have closure? And the reality is they don't have closure because they were told that if they participated in those investigations and whatnot, or at least they were led to believe that those investigations, that report, from Beth Wilkinson would be made public, and we know that it was not. In fact, we know that, that Roger Goodell and the NFL entered into a, a, an agreement with Dan Snyder that the results of that report would not be made public unless Snyder signed off on it, and we know he was never going to sign off on that. So from that standpoint, these women have never gotten the closure that they deserve, and I think that they do deserve to have that report be out there. But I believe that it is also so damning that Roger Goodell and the NFL will not ever allow that to be um, put out, just like back in the original Spygate case. They destroyed all the evidence in that case so that no one would ever know exactly just how extensive or bad that was. And to me, that's the tragedy in all this, because these women are the true heroine in this thing, because them coming forward and risking everything that they risk to tell the truth about what was happening within that organization is ultimately what set the groundwork to have Dan Snyder no longer in the NFL. Jim Trotter joining us. So, Jim, moving around, you wrote an interesting piece for The Athletic recently titled, What Makes a Hall of Fame Coach? I think that's a really interesting question. So what is the answer? What's it take for a coach to get to Canton? Well, the reason I wrote that column is because everyone has a different opinion on it. And so I don't know that you can say, 
there are hard and fast rules or guidelines that should be in place here. It's so subjective. Look, the reality is, you know, if we say it's all about Super Bowls, and that's what I was told when I first got on the committee nearly two decades ago, I look around and I see there are like four coaches who have won multiple Super Bowls who aren't in the Hall of Fame, some of whom have never even been a finalist for the Hall of Fame, whether it's Mike Shanahan or it's George Seifert or it's Tom Coughlin. You know, you name your you, – you take your pick. Um, so from that standpoint, it can't simply be just about Super Bowls. And so we look at the other side, and, and we have guys who have never won a Super Bowl, Marv Levy and Bud Grant. They're in the Hall of Fame. So now I look at guys like Dan Reeves, who was only for won a Super Bowl. I look at Marty Schottenheimer, who never got to a Super Bowl. But do I hold it against him that Ernest Biner fumbles going into an end zone? Do I hold it against him that Lynn Elliott missed three short field goals in a 10-7 to loss in the playoffs? You know, those sorts of things have to are factors as well. I mean, Marty, to me, was one of the great coaches in the NFL, regardless of the fact that he never got to a Super Bowl, because I can't put that completely on him as a coach. But I also know there are other coaches who have won Super Bowls who I, I don't think were in his class. Um, and I wonder if he had had some of the talent that, that those clubs had in terms of at the quarterback position. Would he have won a Super Bowl or would he have even gotten to a Super Bowl? So is it is it about winning percentage regular season? Is it about winning percentage postseason? You know, is it about Super Bowls? Is it about just making Super Bowls? Is it about impact on the game? All those sorts of things are questions that I don't know that you can wrap it all up so cleanly and simply and say, this is what a Hall of Fame coach is. But I'm here for the discussion, and that's why I was excited to see that the Dan Reeves and Marty Schottenheimer had at least made it to the semifinal round, and I'm hoping that they get into the, the finalist round just so we can have that discussion and try and figure out maybe what exactly is a Hall of Fame coach. Jim Trotter, my guest. So, Jim, one last thought. When you look at the Zoom call organized by Austin Eckler and the running backs talking about their plight, bottom line this time, I've got about 90 seconds. Do you think that either Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs will miss any regular season action? No, I don't. Um, I think they'll show up before week one and, and get – you know, their money because they can't make that money up. But look, the reality here is, Romy, all of these Zoom calls and whatever, whatever, they mean nothing because the players gave up their leverage in, in the collective bargaining agreement. Well, basically, they threw first-round running backs under the bus and allowed teams to tie them up for up to eight years. A lot of things come to mind, right, when you look at DK Metcalf. Look at him. What do you think when you look at this guy? I mean, monster. It's the first thing that comes to mind, and I mean that in the best possible way. This dude's a behemoth. I mean, not exactly a secret. This dude is famous for being ridiculously shredded. Last week, I tried to tell you that Russet Potato Wilson all of a sudden now looks like a Dodonis. Look at, look at, he look at, look at Dodonis. He looks like, he looks beautiful. He looks, look at, look at, he looks like a Dodonis. Right? Russet. Look it, look it, look it, look it, look it. He looks like a Dodonis. And he does. He looks great. But compared to DK, he still looks like a sack of potatoes. But then again, pretty much anybody looks like a sack of potatoes next to DK, which is why DK is about the last person that I would have ever expected to have the worst diet that I've ever heard a pro athlete have. Well, really... Any living, still-breathing human being. But apparently by his own admission, DK actually has a diet that is that bad. He's not denying it. A diet that might be even worse 
than Babe Ruth back in the day shoveling hot dogs and beers down his goat all day long. My man probably woke up early in the morning, shook it out, rolled over, went to the nightstand, and grabbed a hot dog. Or what was left of last night's hot dog. I mean, this dude's got a diet. I mean, the babe is known as having the worst pro-athlete diet of all time, right? Check out what DK admitted to Kevin Garnett, of all people, on his Showtime show, KG Certified. I'm a candy-type person. Oh, what? I eat one meal a day, drink one coffee, and eat, like, three, four bags of candy. Man, define bags of candy, man. Jelly like beans? No, nah, see, I'm a gummy, gummy, gummy type of guy, so you get... Your lifesavers. Come on, man. Stop. Stop, man. Come on. Hold on. Hold on, man. So you finna go through a structure, a bag of candy. You about to go through the whole. Okay, let's hear this. Let's hear so, this. So, all right. I'm just taking you through yesterday. So yesterday, I woke up, worked out, worked out again, came home, showered. I'm hungry. Run to Starbucks, get a quick coffee. That's going to hold me to like 4, 5 o'clock. This 12. Okay. So it's going to hold me for like 4 hours. Dang. Around 4.30, I ordered some candy and a water. So I got... What did I get yesterday? I got the Skittles gummies. Then I got uh, the Lifesaver Creations. They the same size bag, so I just mix them. So it's safe to say we're going to see a DK gummy at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Okay, y'all heard it. Um, Another certified Certified moment. moment. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> get the gummy, get the candy, get the water. The, the certified moment is him admitting that he has three or four bags of candy every day. That's the certified moment. Go to sleep. I like also, I, I come home. I order some candy. What, like Uber Eats or DoorDash? What do you mean you order candy? Oh, and some water. And some water. I mean, holy crap, my dude. How are you even, never mind how are you dominating on Sundays, how are you still walking around the planet with the rest of us? And how the hell do you look like that? Three bags of candy a day. I get up, I work out, I work out again, I take a shower, I go to Starbucks, I get a cup of coffee, that'll hold me for four hours, then I get my candy on. I, dude, how do you make it through your workouts? How do you make it through practices? This dude doesn't eat anything except coffee and candy all day, every day, until he sits down to dinner. Like, how's that possible? My man, how do you still have feet? How do you still have feet? And what's the one meal? If there are three or four bags of candy and a cup of coffee, what is the one meal? Got to know that. Hot fudge Sunday. He's fully on track to be the healthiest, most ripped, most fit diabetic in the history of the Beatus. This dude's going to be able to run a go-route one day without feet. And you still won't be able to stop him. His feet are going to fall off. I mean, I'm no doctor, and I'm not even going to try and play one here on the radio and TV simulcast. My man's feet are going to fall off if he keeps doing that. He's going to start dropping balls because of all the fingertip pricking that's going to be going on, right? Dwight Howard Cannot believe how much garbage this dude is inhaling. Hell, Garrett Ritt can't believe how much crap this guy eats. Ritt is a vegan by comparison. A health food nut compared to DK. Let me put it to you this way. DK Metcalf 
is the only person who could walk up to Ritt and say, step your game up when it comes to shoving sugar. Kind of freaks me out a little bit. I mean, how is this even possible? I understand that, like, we're all built differently. His metabolism might be a little bit different. But, man, how can you eat that much crap and still look like that? I'm, I'm asking the question. I know that there are people listening right now that will have an explanation. Go ahead. Explain it to me. I'm all ears. Signed, Adam Silver. Ha! I'm all ears. How can you eat that much crap and look that good and be that physically imposing? I mean, I guess if you can pull it off and he does, more power to you. But it also sounds like a pretty horrible idea that's going to come back to haunt later on at some point. I mean, I know I used to bounce back a lot better than I do now from certain things. At least James Big Head Kelly has something else to talk about now when he brings up the Seahawks. Hopefully this means we no longer have to hear about, quote, Dookie Mudcalf. And that one time he had to get carted off the field to use the bathroom. And you can imagine why, right? He probably had four bags of candy on board. Big Head. Ask Big Head. That was the single greatest moment in NFL history. Maybe the head will start calling him Diabetic Coma Metcalf now. And yes, I know coma starts with a C and not a K, but I'm not sure the Big Head knows or cares. And I'm not going to be correcting him if it means I never have to hear about the Mud Calf incident ever again. But that's about the only positive I can pull from this. Otherwise, man, I'm confused, bewildered, and more than a little disturbed. And I don't understand the math. How is that possible? I'm not even sure I want to know. Like, oh, even Kevin what? Garnett was like, wait, what? Wait, what are you saying? Wait, I, I like Kevin Garnett. Credit to him, too. A lot of athletes end up in the new media, and they're just not quite ready. He had a great follow. Quote, Define bag of candy. Man, define bags of candy, man. That was actually a great follow from one interviewer to another. Like, if you were to say, I have three or four bags of candy, what does that mean? You know, little bags, Starbursts, Skittles. All right, Skittles. A little bag of Skittles. Define bags of candy. Are we talking about one of those giant bags of Skittles or a standard size bag of Skittles? So good on you, KG. That actually was your certified moment right there, KG. That follow. Define bags of candy. Around 4.30, I'll order some candy. What'd you have for lunch? Coffee. Sound like me. He said, I get around noon, I go to Starbucks, I get a cup of coffee, and that'll hold me for four hours. That'll hold me not until the clean consumption begins, but when my Candy regimen begins. How does that guy look like that? How is he running on that fuel? How can he work out like that? And I don't mean our kind of workouts, our pedestrian workouts. I mean an NFL alpha workout. Incredible. Help me. Skittles gummies. Then I got uh, the Lifesaver Creations. They're the same size bag, so I just mix them. So it's safe to say we're going to see a DK gummy at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not my takeaway from that. Not that we're going to see a DK gummy at some point. We're going to see a couple of DK's feet up for auction at some point. That's what we're going to see. 
You know, not you eating candy like that, huh? Yeah, I'm a candy eater. Yeah. I love the conversation though. Like he's just owning it. Yeah, man. I'm a candy eater, and KG's just checking him. Like, dude, you eat you eat candy like that? Yeah. Yeah. Dwight Howard used to also. Um, what? <laughs> That's funny. Hey, Rome, DK hits three bags of candy with his meals. Those are rookie numbers. You tell that kid to step his game up and get back to me when he's crushing at least five step bags of M&M's. Up. Signed, James Larden. I don't think he's eating him with meals. I think they um, are his meals. What? Andy Staples is my guest. Andy, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you doing? Good, good. So first things first, you recently entered the professional transfer portal, joining On3 earlier this month. What can you tell us about that platform and what you're doing for those folks? What's it been like so far? Well, I got a hell of an NIL deal coming. That's that's <laughs> the first thing. Good. But now uh, On3 is, is a company that, just covers college football and covers it better than anybody else. Uh, we, we cover from recruiting to the once they get on campus and the games. And uh, we've really dove into the NIL stuff. And I, I think it's, it's a company that's very young, but backed by the people who made Rivals what it was, made 24-7 what it is. So they know college football but they're more geared toward where college football is going because, uh, as you can tell, the sport is in a great period of change. So we're going to be ready to, uh, to cover all those changes. Andy Stables joining us. Listen, one quick follow. Not, not that you didn't always get after it no matter what. You're one of the best there is at what you do. But I, I think about these things quite a bit, especially where I'm at in my life. Are you rejuvenated by that challenge? Are you energized by that challenge? Yeah, it's great. And it's moved from primarily writing to primarily doing shows and it gives me a whole new respect for guys like you who put together a bunch of shows daily and just the grind of it because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what do I have to do next week? i got to book this guest, got to have this person ready, and it is, uh, it is a challenge. So the fact that – and this is, this is the thing I've always loved about you, Jim, is you are so prepared for every single guest you have on. Like that's what I, I keep telling myself is just prep like Jim for the guest and I'm going to be okay. I appreciate you saying that. You also have things that I don't have or things that you can't teach, but that's what it is, man. It's preparation. That's where there is separation in the preparation. I've always believed that. Andy Staples is joining us. All right, so let's talk about some of the things that you're sure to talk about on your programs. What about Georgia football? Let me start right there. You know, we're talking about a team that had 10 guys go to the NFL draft this year, yet, Andy, they're still favored to win their third consecutive natty. Do you see them pulling it off? Are they that deep? They are that deep, but math says and history says it's going to be hard for them to win the third in a row. The last time a college team three-peated as a national champ was 1936. It was Minnesota. And you think about all the really good teams that have come along. You had the, the mid-'90s Nebraska teams were the 96 team. Like if they hadn't scheduled Arizona State early in the season, they might have had a, a four-peat, actually, because they wound up getting a piece in 97. Uh, those USC teams in the early 2000s. Uh, the Alabama team, they win – 2011, 2012, and then the kick six happens. Now, they might not have even beaten Florida State that year. We don't know, but it's just so hard. The thing with Georgia, though, this year that's interesting is their regular season schedule is, especially as SEC schedules go, not that big of a challenge. They were originally going to play Oklahoma in a non-conference game. 
because Oklahoma's moving to the SEC, the conference said, hey, you know, we're going to have one of these games be non-conference and then the return game be a conference game. So we're just going to wipe that from the slate. So now Georgia's got a fairly weak non-conference schedule, weak for the conference schedule, and I, you're looking at a team that's going to be favored in all 12 games. Are they going to be ready when they get to the SEC championship game? It's sort of how we think about Ohio State when they get to the Michigan game. Have they been challenged enough, or are they going to be ready to, to play a team of this caliber? All right, so as you're learning about this when you do your shows, you just said about five or six different things that I could follow you up on, but why don't I just do the last one? Andy Stable's my guest. What about Ohio State? Big Ten Media Days were underway, and you've got Michigan, you've got Ohio State. They're projected to be the class of the conference once again. Now that Jim Harbaugh has broken through with back-to-back blowout wins over the Buckeyes, is there any pressure on Ryan Day in Columbus? It seems absurd to even ask the question when he's got a winning percentage of nearly 89%, but is he feeling the pressure after back-to-back blowout losses? There, there definitely is pressure on him, and there would be more if they hadn't played as well as they did in the Peach Bowl, because Remember, if Ohio State gets one more stop in the fourth quarter against Georgia in the Peach Bowl, we are probably talking about defending national champ Ohio State. And that looks very different on the resume. The problem is he's still 0-2 in his last two games against Michigan. Michigan was a much more physical football team. That just hurts the heart of the people in Ohio. They don't want to see Michigan overpowering Ohio State at the point of attack, which is what you've seen the last two years. It feels like Michigan is built to play Ohio State in November. It feels like Ohio State is built to, when you get on a, a carpet in an NFL stadium in the, in the college football playoff, be very competitive there. Ohio State, in the system that's coming, can still win national titles that way. That's still not going to satisfy people. You've got to be able to beat Michigan. And so really what they need is that defense to get better, stop giving up so many big plays, Offensively, they're going to be fine. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver in the country, might be the best player in the country. We'll see who winds up a quarterback, probably Kyle McCord, who was Harrison's high school quarterback. But I'm, I'm fascinated by that because Michigan has gotten so much deeper in terms of NFL talent since that scare in 2020 when they were terrible and it looked like Jim Harbaugh might get fired. He revamped the staff. They're a lot deeper than they used to be, and this is a much bigger hill for Ohio State to climb. I think that's a really interesting analysis. Andy Staples is joining us. Speaking of defenses that have to get better, you have Lincoln Riley, right? He comes to USC, immediately transforms them. You get the Heisman winner in Caleb Williams, projected to go number one overall next year's draft. But defensively, Andy, considering how porous they were defensively, how much better do you expect that defense to be this year for a team that's picked to win the Pac-12? I think it has to be better, Jim. And, and you look at some of the body types they took out of the transfer portal, and it does feel like they, they understand what they were missing. I mean, one thing, Lincoln Riley's a head coach. He's done everything well except recruit really good defensive players. Uh, he's always had good offenses. He's always had incredible quarterbacks. But in terms of NFL-bound, first-round-type defensive linemen, they haven't been able to get those guys. So this year, out of the transfer portal, they get Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. They get Bear Alexander from Georgia. These are guys who would have played at those schools and would have played big roles. They just wanted to transfer. And I think that's going to make a big difference for USC because that's a body type they did not have before. These big defensive linemen who can move that Georgia always has, Alabama always has, Ohio State always has. 
So that's what USC's got to do better with. And they, they retained Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator. I think there's a lot of pressure on him this year because we know they're going to be able to score. But can you avoid something like the second half of last year's Pac-12 championship game? Well, there was a play where Utah's third-string tight end is just pinballing through USC's defense. A, a game that should have been 20-something yards winds up being like a 67-yard touchdown. You can't have that happening over and over again late in the season. Andy Staples is the national college football host for On3. He joins me for a couple of more moments. Andy, bounce back to the SEC. You know how badly Nick Saban wants to reclaim the top spot in the sport, especially since it was one of his own that ripped it from him in the first place. How do you expect the Tide's offense to look with their quarterback competition to replace Bryce Young? That's a great question, and it really kind of depends on how much their young receivers can develop because – Last year, they didn't have anybody dynamic, and as good as Bryce Young was, he just didn't have, he didn't have Jamison Williams or John Mechie to throw to, and that made a big difference. We got so spoiled by Alabama having those incredible receivers, the, the two guys I just mentioned, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, you know, back to Amari Cooper and Julio Jones. It was, it's been a while since we saw them not have guys who could separate. If some of those young guys can be dynamic, their backfield is really good. Their offensive line should be good. So it may not matter who they pick a quarterback, and, and it could be one of three guys, Tyler Buckner, the, the Notre Dame transfer, or Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson, who are already there. They're probably going to be pretty good. I would expect them to be more the, more the team that the old-school Alabama fans have wanted to see, where it can move you on the ground, and then that sets up the passing game. I think over the last few years they've, they've evolved into a team that was pass first instead of run first. So the run the damn ball crowd, I think, is going to get a bone thrown to them this year. I think they're probably going to enjoy what they see. All right, so Andy, for those who don't understand, and it's the world is changing, right? Like, you have this great content right now. You have this great platform and a great opportunity, but people listening might not necessarily know exactly where to find it. So when you're developing all this content and programming, where should our listeners and our viewers go to find it? So you go to the On3 YouTube channel. All the shows are there. On demand, we're going live a lot of nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, also, if you want to listen in podcast form, we're on every single podcast platform on demand. Those go up as soon as the shows are done. And so we are there for you every day. Uh, it'll be five days a week, and then during the season, it'll be six days a week. So we, we, you will never be able to escape us, I promise. And you're still doing your podcast, so they don't have to worry about that. Andy, great to have you on. Congrats on that. You sound great. You look great. And it's always good to talk to you, man. Good job. Thanks, Jim. Good night, now!